gluten-free food and beer with Carolyn Smigelski, Elise Wiggins, and George Reich. During this session, they talked about gluten-free beers, celiac disease, gluten-free brewing and cooking ingredients, and Elise made some pretty good food as well. His travels have taken him all across the country and all across the world, from Japan to Brazil and onward to Mexico. He's hosted hundreds of beer dinners. He's taught hundreds of brewing schools. He's a tasting judge at the World Beer Cup. He's on the executive committee of Master Brewers Association of the Americas. He has scores of key positions within the organization. And he was the large company brewmaster at the Great American Beer Festival in 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. Add all of his skills to the culinary skills of our chef tonight, Chef Elise Wiggins. She is the executive chef at the Hotel Monaco at Panzano, and, and she has... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the Rocky Mountain News named Panzano the top Italian after she arrived. She was named the, top, the Colorado Chef of the Year in 2005 by the American Culinary Federation, and Panzano was awarded four out of four stars in the top 25 restaurants in Denver, 5280s magazine. She's in the Hall of Fame 2006 at the Art Institute of Colorado. And she's a lecturer for art and science of gluten-free gastronomy at the Phipps Mansion in Denver. So she's right on this side here. Now for anybody who has, I don't know if any of you have celiac disease or know anybody who is gluten intolerant, just about everybody, <laughs> the funny thing is that just about everybody in the general population knows at least one person who may be either a relative or a friend or something who has some kind of intolerance to certain grains that are in beer. You might hear people talking about that they don't like beer because they feel bloated or they don't like beer because it gives them gas or any of a number of reasons. And it really may be that they are suffering some of the, uh, some of the reactions to the barleys, the, the proteins that are in beer. Generally, people who have celiac disease, for instance, they are allergic to the proteins, or not allergic, they have an autoimmune reaction to the proteins in barley, wheat, oats, rye, spelt, hamet, triticale, and all of those related grains. So the, but they can't really call it gluten-free because technically corn and rice and those other grains also have gluten's in them, but not the kind that affect people who have celiac disease. With celiac disease, the, what happens is inside the small intestine, they have little filly that absorb all the nutrients from the body. And these tend to have an autoimmune reaction, they flatten out and then they stop working. Sort of like if we laid in bed all the time and never got up. All of our muscles would start to atrophy, well these start to atrophy as well. So what we want to do is create 
some kind of products, especially beer, for people who have this condition because we want to make sure that everybody is healthy, that everybody can enjoy beer. And what's better than that, right? The lucky thing about everybody about this is that there are companies within the brewing world that recognize this. Because there is, right now, one out of 133 people are diagnosed with celiac disease. If you add to that people who have an intolerance to wheat, an intolerance to barley, any kind of allergy associated things like that, there are a lot of people out there who might need this. In Italy and in the United Kingdom, by the time children are seven years old, they, are, they have to be tested for celiac disease. So it's a lot more widespread than we might think. There are three wonderful companies here that we have showcasing today. And those three companies have made a commitment to create products for people who need to be gluten-free. In the United States, we cannot call it gluten-free beer because they haven't determined what exactly that means. Because they have glutens in other foods and other grains, first off, that's one of the roadblocks. The second one is that they have to decide how many parts per million will actually harm somebody. So what we call it is, we'll call it sorghum-based, we'll call it honey-based maybe, those kinds of things. I want to tell you that we have Redbridge here. This received the gold medal at the Great American Beer Festival this year for gluten-free beer. The next one we're going to show you is New Grist, silver medal winner. This is out of Lakefront Brewery. Shakparo Ale. This is an African ale that is made by Sprecher Brewing Company and that won the bronze medal today. So it's kind of funny, I was on the judging panel for gluten-free beer, and honestly, I didn't fix it. <laughs> it's just that when we had set this up, I already had in my mind, there are a lot of nice gluten-free beers out there, and we thought that these are absolute premier products to show you and to show you how to cook with it. I'm going to hand it over now to George and to Elise. George Reich, Anheuser-Busch, corporate brewmaster, ambassador of beer, and Elise Wiggins, executive chef at Ponzano. All right. Okay, I hope you guys are hungry. Got all the beer going on, but hope there's going to be some uh, good food for this. Um, again, my name is Elise Wiggins. Um, I got into... Um, the Gluten-Free Living Society, because my brother was diagnosed with celiac disease um, almost two years ago. And I think it's really cool because it's exposed me to a whole lot, new, whole lot more um, um, ingredients, amaranth and tapioca flour and, you know, quinoa and all these wonderful stuff that, I, you know, as chefs we get in this pattern of just using AP flour or wheat flour. So this is really exciting to me. And 
what I really like to do is to show you that you can actually make really tasty, naughty food with substituted flours. Um, so we're going to start off today with crab puffs, okay? And we're going to use our wonderful Red Bridge beer. All right, everybody have the recipes out because there's a test afterwards, okay? Nobody gets to drink beer the rest of the night if you guys fail the test, okay? So it's very, very simple. We're going to do just like Julia Childs, just a little bit of beer, okay? Gonna pour a little beer in and then a little bit of butter. I'm going to let that come to a bowl. Okay, now I'm from the South, and there's a couple of things that I can't say correctly, so you'll have to forgive me. All fall and bowl, all right? Anybody else from the South here? All right, you guys understand me. Please translate for everybody. Thank you very much. All right. See, this is perfect for Southerners because we love beer. Beer and our whiskey. All right, so um, we're just going to bring this to a bowl, okay? And we're going to combine the rest of the ingredients, all right? So we've got our lump crab. I'm going to dump that in. It says dry mustard, but you're welcome to use a little bit of um, Dijon mustard. I recommend Dijon, just a little bit more. Just a hint, just for flavor. This is a grated Swiss cheese. If you like Fontina, you can use Fontina as well. And uh, you can use dill, tarragon, basil, whatever you like. The lighter herbs are the best herbs for seafood. So I'm actually going to, instead of dill, I'm actually going to use a little tarragon. I think dill is a little bit lighter for this, and I think it accompanies the beer nicely, okay? So we do a little dill. A little Worcestershire is all, can y'all hear me? Am I yelling? No? Okay. All right. Y'all can see this has come to a bowl, right? Okay, we're going to remove that. Once it comes to a bowl, we're going to add a little bit of the flour. We're going to wait just a bit because I want to finish mixing our base. Okay, a little bit of lemon juice. All right. And then a little season, a little salt, a little white pepper. And then we're just going to mix this up, okay? Super easy. Now, you can make these crab puffs earlier in the day if you're going to have a party that evening. You're, you can make these crab puffs great about them. Keep them on your counter just like a cookie and when you're ready to serve them you just pop them back into a really hot oven just to warm them up quickly and then out they go. All right. Just want to make sure all the flavors are infused. You can see that Worcestershire all mixing in there. All right. I'm going to bring this back to a bowl again. And then I have the tapioca flour. And in your recipe you'll see beat vigorously, okay? You need to beat it, and you guys are going to see why in just a minute. Um, there's that stretchy um, cellulose component that's in it, um, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a lot of work from you. If you have a mixer at home, that works best. Put it in there, put your paddle attachment, and let it go to town. But you're about to see me sweat, so that's okay, all right? It's all good. So tapioca flour. And again, if you guys, has everybody felt tapioca flour before? Okay, anybody else has it? Pass them around, how about that? Um, so don't worry, nobody's gonna eat this. Get your fingers in there and you're gonna feel, it's like cornstarch, okay? And it's very, very fine. So the absorption rate is very fast, okay? So it's a little bit different than working with um, like all-purpose flour or wheat-based flour. All right, so I'm gonna pour some in there.
I'm gonna do my Jane Fonda with this, get my workout. See how it's coming together? And it's important that you really work it hard, okay? Because it almost becomes gelatinous. But you wanna make sure you get it in there. All right, can everybody see that? Way different texture, way different texture. That's okay. It's just different. You just need to make sure that you, you put your mind around it that it's just gonna be different. Okay. The next thing we're gonna do, we're gonna take a little bit of this base, if you will. We're gonna fold it into the crab mixture. Okay, I'm make sure it's all in the crab. Okay, you guys can go ahead. All right, so they're gonna go ahead and hand out because of the magic of all the helpers in the back. We, we don't have an oven in the back, so I won't be able to show you guys all the baking process, um, but it's very simple after this. All you do is do like the drop cookie method. Those of you who bake, anybody bakes out here? Fantastic, okay, so drop cookie method. Please be careful when you get the samples, the sauce is gonna be hot um, as it comes out. All right. So as you can see, it bound nicely. You can actually take two spoons. So have a nice round little um, ball of uh, crab puff on a cookie sheet, okay, and you let it bake. It's going to leaven just a little bit, all right, with the egg that's in there, it's going to rise just a little bit, and then it's so light and airy. It's just like a cheese puff or anything else that you have. You won't even be able to tell the difference between that and, say, all-purpose flour, okay? And uh, tonight we're serving it with an agridolce sauce, which is sweet and sour, so it's a little bit of a tomato base a little bit of um, sugar, and um, a little bit of um, uh, vinegar as well, okay? Fabulous stuff. All right, so would you like to speak on it? Yeah, microphone's on. Anyway, it's great to be here tonight. I want to pass around a glass that holds sorghum in it. If you've never seen sorghum before, uh, I'm a very much a sensory person. I believe that people should see some of the things. So you want to pass this around. You can smell it. It's very hard to brew with sorghum. We tried several grains. Uh, it's a labor of love. I found out about celiac disease at a wine show. Uh, we took our beers to wine shows, and I found out a lot of people that go to wine shows are celiacs, and they came up and said, why can't you make a beer for us? And I always thought folks had celiac disease from birth, and I was told very, very strongly that's not true, and that they had consumed beer all through their 20s, and now suddenly they were told they couldn't have beer anymore, which was a complete bummer. That started the process where we tried several grains and we settled on sorghum. We reached an agreement with our maltster to help us malt the sorghum. We brought it to the brewery and we brewed it. I'm gonna pass around some hops so you guys will get a chance to, if you haven't, these were grown at our hop farm in uh, Northern Idaho. So what you have here is whenever you're tasting a beer, no matter where you are, at home or whatever, I'm trying to convince people to follow a very simple procedure. You try the beer, then you try the food. 
And once you think you know exactly what the food tastes like, take a sip of the beer, and through the magic of carbonation, it will pop in your mouth, carry the aromas backwards into your nose. Remember when you were a kid and you had soda come out of your nose? There's a back way in, and it makes the dials up the flavor and the aroma of the food. So everybody there, take a sip of your beer. Get that taste in your mouth. Then take a bite of the food and wait until you think you really know what that food tastes like. And then take another sip of the beer and feel it pop in your mouth. The spices and everything that at least will actually come out and you'll actually be able to taste the food better. Now you can do that with every single beer that, that you would possibly want to have a food with. In this case, being celiacs, a lot of you, you're probably going to be doing this with Redbridge, okay? I want to show you one other really interesting thing. Visually, this is, uh, I'm going to put the microphone down. I want you to show, I'm going to show you how different a beer can look in two different shaped glasses, okay? So bear with me. Hello? Notice that uh, you always pour your beer right down the center of the glass. Now watch what happens when I pour this same beer in the wider glass. How's the pasta? How the crab pops? I'm sorry. Yeah? Fantastic. That's the same beer. Can you guys see that difference? So guess what? If you're going to be using Redbridge with a dessert and you want it to look rich, guess what kind of glass you're going to pour it in? This one. If you're going to be serving Redbridge with like a light appetizer or something like this, you're going to put it in this one. The other thing I want you to notice is how stable the foam is in the narrow glass. A beer like Redbridge, sorghum is not the best foam cereal grain that you can brew with, but notice how this foam, how stable that is in a narrow glass. A lot of people never believe this, and this happens with every beer, specifically beers that are a little darker. I don't know if you guys can see that on there. It's fun to do this with your friends. They think you're a magician, you're not. In a lecture, I will pour the, the skinny glass back in the fat one and then pour it back in again and it'll be exactly the same difference in color. So remember that, if you're serving beer, dress it up. You go out at night to a bar, you dress one way. You're going to a wedding, you dress another way. When you're serving your beer, serve it in the right glass, okay? So you guys, did you get the, the way it pops in your mouth? Spices especially, pepper especially will pop. Um, can they have coconut? Coconut really, really pops. Like if you make a coconut dessert and have it with this, pops in your mouth. Remember, through the magic of carbonation. One last thing, I'll stop. You only want to pour one third of the glass at a time in there. Because think about it this way. When you pour it right down the center, you're knocking a little bit of the carbonation out, but there's still a lot left. If you pour the whole glass full, by the time you get to the bottom third of the glass, it's flat and you don't get that pop in your mouth action. So start pouring your beer one-third of the bottle at a time because you'll drink that beer before you lose the carbonation and it'll enhance the dining experience. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. Okay, so the next thing we're going to make um, is pasta. I think one of the biggest things my brother always complained about is not being able to eat pasta. Um, so today we're going to do... Um, it's a specially layered dish. You have a cannelloni recipe that's in there, but we're going to have to do it because we are here. It's going to be a layered um, pasta dish in a cup. We're actually going to make like fettuccine. But I'm going to show you actually how to make the pasta dough using 
um, other things aside from a wheat flour. Okay, so we're going to have um, tapioca flour, rice flour, and a little bit of amaranth to mix in. Uh, a little bit of olive oil, egg, salt and pepper. And I'm going to use a little bit of the beer also instead of water. All right? So very, very simple. Always when you make your pasta, you want to make a well with your flour. So I'm just going to combine the two. And mix them up first. Then a little salt, a little pepper. Okay, so it's all blended. We'll settle that down. I'm going to make a well. Okay? And in that well, I'm going to crack my egg. I'm also going to put a little bit of oil in there. It's a tiny bit. All right. Just a little bit of beer. And then again, it's all about the texture and the feeling. You can put this in a mixer and whip it up again with your paddle, but I firmly believe that you won't get food unless you actually get your hands in on it. You got to get dirty. Besides, food's sexy, right? Yeah? Woo! Yeah! <laughs> I don't know of anybody that can't be seduced if you're cooking for them, you know what I mean? All right, so slowly, if you see, I'm using my fingers and just whipping it around and it's going around, it's grabbing the flour and it's pulling in. If you try and do the bread method where you just fold it in, you're going to have lumps in your pasta and then it's going to cook and it's going to burst. So you don't want that. You don't want lumpy pasta. Lumpy oatmeal, not lumpy pasta, right? As you can see, I used the bowl a little bit to help me stir. Is this everybody's first time at the beer festival? Holy moly, it's mine. <laughs> this is great. I feel like I'm back in college. <laughs> Minus the hangover. <laughs> As of right now, that is. Okay. Just keep working it in. As you can tell, it's starting to get sticky and it's starting to bind together. That's a good thing. We don't want it wet, though. And I need to dry it out a little bit more, so I'm going to add a little more um, tapioca. And again, you all felt it. It's just like cornstarch, so if you need to really dry something out, it's great for that purpose. So just adding some more tapioca. You can add either or. See how almost immediately that cinched right up as soon as I added that tapioca? The great thing about making pasta with this is that you don't have to let it rest for an hour. Because whenever you do make a, pot, a pasta that has gluten in it, you're having that stretching property. It needs time to rest and relax. Uh, with gluten-free uh, flours or pastas, you don't have to do that. It's still a little wet when it's tacky, so we still need to add some more. I'm going to do a combination. A little bit of tapioca. Again, just remember to keep patience with this. Don't force it. Try not to fold in any extra flour. You do need to give it time to absorb, but you don't need to give it time to rest. Does anybody have any questions about making gluten-free pasta or anything else I've done so far? You guys are good students, right? You guys are all going to pass. Everybody can drink beer later on. <laughs>
The great thing about pasta is that you can make it into whatever shape you want. This pasta cooks exactly the same as a regular um, wheat-based um, pasta. Drop it in the water, as soon as it floats, it's ready to go. So this pasta, we just recently had a James Beard dinner at Penzano's. I don't know if everybody's familiar with that. Um, but um, this is the, um, a different rendition, um, but same ingredients of the dish that we serve there. So it's stuffed with a lamb bolognese sauce, a mint goat cheese nage, pomegranate seeds, roasted walnuts, chanterelles, and lots of love. Lots of love. All right. So the dough looks pretty good. Can everybody see that? Everybody see my monster fingers too? Yeah? All right. So just like any other time, you want to put a little extra flour out on the surface to roll. I'm sorry, they're, they are eating it right now. All right, so as you can see, just like a regular pasta, okay? Rolls out nicely. Uh, remember you guys, try the beer, try the food, try the beer and the food. I guarantee you won't have to remember it long. If you get in the habit of doing that, one thing that you're finding out tonight about the gluten-free beers is that they do taste different. Keep in mind that with gluten-free beers, they will be made with different grains and they're going to have a different profile to them. It's sort of like when you're talking about Belgian beer. If you know, Have any of you gone out and tasted the sour ales or the Belgian beers out here and then compared them with maybe a lager and compared them with the black beers? They all have, or with maybe a, a barley wine, they all have different flavor profiles. So really keep in mind that with gluten-free beer, you're going to have also a different flavor profile. These beers are made with sorghum, some are made with honey, there are those made with teff, there are gluten-free beers that are also made with corn called chicha. Drinking gluten-free beer is something that exposes you to the rest of the world. It is a global thing because they don't drink the same kind of beer in other countries that they do here. Shakparo Ale, for instance, was created for the African Festival in Milwaukee and it, they wanted to see an authentic African beer. And in Africa, the beer is made with sorghum. It's sort of a milky color. It comes in milk cartons yeah. and it's fermented with wild yeast. <laughs> Thank you. He has a question for you. Would you step up to the microphone if you have a question? Anybody who's got a question, step up to the microphone. Uh, you'd mentioned how uh, different beers, um, the gluten-free beers are made with different uh, adjuncts or um, bases. And you said chicha. Uh, can you just touch on chicha for a second? Uh, I'd heard that term before, but I thought that was like a South American liquor um sausage chicha is actually a south american beer traditionally chicha came from it's made from corn and what they do is what originally happened was that the women would put it in their mouths the grain and they would chew it and then spit it out and lay it out flat into onto a, something that would dry it and it fermented in the sun it would because of all the bacteria in their mouth it would start fermenting. And this is actually a beer that is drunk in some part, parts of the world. Cool. 
Okay, you guys, so I just wanted to show you the examples of the pasta shapes that you can actually cut. Um, I just cut a linguine right here, a fettuccine, a pappardelle. If you want to make lasagna, you just do fresh pasta. This is the best in the whole world, okay? Fresh pasta. Takes maybe, especially flat ribbon pasta, they take like, I would say maximum, depending on how hot the water is, should be boiling, maximum say three minutes. Um, just al dente and then they're ready to go. How's the pasta? Yeah, it's good. Oh, right on. I like how the woman in the front earlier was dumping her cup like, it's all gone. Sorry, I gave you beer size samples, didn't I? Bum, bum, bum. Okay, so now we're going to move on to dessert. Uh, one other thing, though, I don't know if Elise does this, but if you really want to have a treat, boil your pasta in the Red Bridge. Boil it in Red Bridge instead of water, and it'll give it a zestiness that you can't believe. But I always tell people, don't just believe me. Do a normal amount in water, and then do a second amount in the Red Bridge. Keep them separate, and then serve them, and then see what you like better. But you can do it like a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world boil their pasta in beer. But if we're going to make a gluten-free pasta, why not boil it in a, in a sorghum beer? I can't say gluten-free beer. It's illegal. But Hey, George, I went, uh, I'd like, I heard a little rumor about Redbridge and Anheuser-Busch that they donate money for all the Redbridge that is sold. Is that right? Yeah, we donate so much, so much money per case to the American Celiac Association. Um, and uh, but I, was, I didn't really want to bring it up because uh, it's not anywhere on the case, and we kind of like it that way, um, but it's the right thing to do, and we're hoping that maybe we can get more and more people concerned about it, more and more of the medical community to work on it, and at least get the word out, because you told me that in Great Britain, the levels they measure are much higher than in the United States. And I thought, well, why is that? And I think because in the United States, we have a lot of people walking around that don't feel very good, and they need to learn about this disease. So if maybe a little bit of money can go back into it to make this more visible, then maybe people can have a like, happier lifestyle and drink some really great beer. Now, I'm not a celiac, but I do write about it, and I'm very passionate about it. And one thing that George touched upon is that on average in the United States, it takes a person 10 years before they are diagnosed with celiac disease. They actually suffer with it for that period of time. In the meantime, they're going along having this bloating. Sometimes they can have internal bleeding and things like that. After a period of time, their bones may become brittle. They fracture easily. You can have tooth enamel defect. All these things, there's um, uh, thyroid problems that people have, infertility problems, their hair falling out. All these things can be related to celiac disease. And in the meantime, they're looking at something else. They're saying this person's a freaking hypochondriac. What's the matter with them? They're looking at them like they're a three-eyed monster or something because they always seem to have something wrong. But it's because they feel so bad because they're not getting the nutrients. They're not absorbing nutrients. So it's very important that we uh, not only go out and make, you know, that we make beers that are available for these people. One of the things that, in particular, about celiac disease and even being diagnosed is that I have already talked to people who said, 
I would rather die. I'm not going to be able to eat pasta, bread, or beer. So forget it. I'm not even going to go to the doctor. So it's important if they know that there are really quality beers on the market that they can drink and that there's good food, quality, great, great food that you could make, that you can enjoy, that doesn't taste like cardboard, of course there are going to be people who will go out and become healthy because the only way to control this disease that they've really found is through diet. Awesome. Does everybody like the texture of the pasta? It's nice, huh? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Okay, dessert, dessert, dessert. So last thing that we're going to do tonight um, is an apple beignet. Now it's a little bit different, doesn't puff up quite like a beignet. Um, does puff up a little bit, uh, but then relaxes. So the stuff that I pass out to you guys um, will be a little bit deflated because we don't have an oven here. However, you'll get the general gist, okay? So, super easy. Starts off with some nice green apples and we macerate them. Okay, macerate means to soak and let them absorb. So there's a little bit of um, brandy in here and a little bit of sugar, okay? It's gonna help sweat the apples a little bit, intensify their flavor on the inside. And then we have our other ingredients. All right, so we have our beer, apple juice, a little olive oil. We have a little bit of uh, fresh yeast, okay? There's a lot of, there's a lot of sugar in here already um, between the, the beer and the apple juice. So this fresh yeast is gonna start eating, okay? It's gonna start thriving and all this sugar in there. That's gonna help react. That's where it's gonna leaven, okay? It's gonna help leaven um, our dough. I'm just gonna let that sit a little bit and you'll be able to see it start to dissolve, okay? So I'm gonna let that dissolve a little bit and I'm gonna help it out. <laughs> I'm gonna help it out a little bit. It's like this extra fermentation. I'm gonna let that break down and then we're gonna add the tapioca flour to it. Now technically in the recipe, if you guys notice, you're supposed to let your um, batter rest for four hours. So I'm not gonna be able to show that to you today, but you'll be able to see the end product over there. You get the idea. Okay, so the yeast is just about dissolved. I'm gonna add our tapioca. Work it in. Everybody see that it's kind of frothy on the top? That's that yeast working. But again, it looks really watery right now. The only time you're actually gonna see it form almost a batter is four hours later. It's gonna rise just like bread dough. It's gonna rise and it's gonna absorb, the, the tapioca is gonna absorb a lot of the liquid. And so it's gonna form this batter almost like pancake batter. And at that point is when you're actually folding your apples, you'll be able to scoop them out. Um, if you have like an ice cream scoop at home, that works great. You scoop it out, you'll drop it into your fryer, Pizza, powdered sugar, beignet, beignet. Okay, last thing we're gonna do is whip egg whites. Let's give a little stiffness. So I'm just gonna let that sit for a little bit. You'll be able to see that whip up. Okay, so our egg whites. And you want stiff peaks because we're gonna fold this in later on, okay? And again, I'm doing it the hard way. If you have a mixer at home, you guys are welcome to do this. 
even as long as I'm doing this, like, I've done this for years, and I still get tired. So, but I just wanted to show you guys that you can still do it without it, right? You want to beat it until I didn't even know you could do that by hand. Oh, old-fashioned way. If you have a copper bowl, a copper line bowl, it's a lot faster because it reacts with it. See, I'm just showing you guys, you don't have to have anything that's super fancy to be able to get stiff peaks. You can't get carpal tunnel syndrome from that, can you? Oh, I've got arthritis. Are you kidding? <laughs> All right. I could never be a full-time pastry chef. Those guys, between making bread and whipping meringues all day long. Whew. How many of you out there have had gluten-free beer, or, I'm sorry, sorghum-based beer before this? Have you had any of the other beers that are out on the market? There is actually, there are, um, coming from England, there are Belgian-style gluten-free beers, or sorghum-based, or buckwheat beers. There are also beers that are made from palm nut, beers made from coconut, Mongozo beers, over in Belgium makes different beers made with those different grains. There's some made with quinoa, and quinoa and others that are made with combination of different grains and those are available here in this country or in Europe they're commercially available now one more thing too you know when these medals were announced today there's a connection between these three beers you know after our brewery closed in Illinois I moved to Milwaukee my father worked for Paps as a brewmaster New Grist is brewed in Milwaukee Brucker is brewed in Milwaukee, and in his, early in his career, he worked for Pabst. So what's this Milwaukee connection? I mean, it's amazing. It just dawned on me right now. I turned to Carol, and I said, I just thought of something here. So Milwaukeeans, and I thought about it. If you were diagnosed in Milwaukee with celiac disease, for God's sake, you don't want to give up your beer. And I think that's what drives this whole thing. They love beer in Milwaukee, so... Absolutely. Okay, so the, the final thing is we have stiff peaks. Let me show you guys. As you can see, if I lift this up and it holds, as I drop it, it stays that way. It's a stiff peak. It's ready to go. So all we're going to do is fold in the apples first. Sorry, you guys. I'm about to use my fingers, but you guys aren't eating this. There's a little bit of uh, leftover water from the apples. Don't throw it away. It's good apple juice. I'm going to drop the apples in there. Then I'm going to slowly fold in the egg whites. And again, you want to just fold it just a little bit. And just imagine that this is a lot stiffer batter. It's just really watery because it takes four hours to create, okay? You get the general idea of uh, the, the thickness of um, what it's going to be. It's already doubled in size. So it's going to be even higher once your batter is risen. And literally all you do is you scoop it up, drop it, fry it. It floats to the top, golden brown, powdered sugar, and pop it in your mouth. Okay? All right. So that's it for me for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Ooh, hoot and hollers. I love it. <laughs> How many of you uh, work at restaurants, own restaurants, or something like that? Because uh, one of the new trends that's happening now is beers are being served with dessert. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for it. First of all, they're absolutely wonderful with dessert. The server makes more tip off of a beer than they do a cup of coffee. And the restaurant has a higher check total if they have one more round of beers with the dessert. 
I encourage you to start having beers with your dessert, especially if you are a celiac or know someone, you can make a dessert like that and then serve it with the Red Bridge, my brand that I make, but uh, with your dessert. So remember the rule is try the beer, try the food, try the beer and the food. It's been a pleasure having everyone. Tell your friends about it. The brewing industry is working on this and we have some really good beers out there. And my favorite, of course, is the one that I brew, which is Red Bridge. So thanks a lot. I too want to thank everybody here and I want to thank everybody who is a celiac. And I want you to know that you have a voice. Just like the celiac awareness groups keep telling you, talk about it, tell people about this, tell them that there is a beer that tastes really good, or that there are a dozen beers that taste really good. When I started writing about this two and a half years ago, there were very, very, very few beers on the market that a celiac could drink or that tasted good. So just spread the word. And thank you, thank you everybody for being here. And I want you to know that it's because of you that we're here. So thank you. Thank you for listening to this portion of the Craft Beer Radio Great American Beer Festival coverage. To find more coverage or to subscribe to our podcast, go to craftbeerradio.com. Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. 